Hey everyone, welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Jillian Pelkey, and I'm so glad that you've joined with me today. Uh, If you're listening for the very first time, you can catch past episodes of the Activate Podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes.com. We're going to pray and then get right into our discussion for today. So if you'll bow your hearts with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us in this moment. God, I thank you for this moment where, Lord, we can turn our attention to you. God, we can hear your truths of your word. God, I pray that today would be a day of freedom. Today would be a day of freedom uh, for people that are listening. Today would be a day where our our hearts would be set free to serve you. Our hearts would be set free to go and to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you for gifting each and every person. God, I thank you for loving each and every person so completely. God, we can't even measure the love that you have for us. God, I pray that you would move mightily today, that you would break off chains, that you would change lives. God, I I pray that today would be a turning point in people's lives. It would be a curve. It would be a difference maker. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and minister. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, today we're going to talk about the topic of freedom. And this podcast has been a long time coming. It has been in the works for a while. Um, Not that I've had it written out for a while, but my life experience has come to this point where I, I feel that the Lord is directing me to share this message. And this is a message of freedom as it concerns gender. Freedom as it concerns women in Christian culture, Western Christian culture. I want to start off by sharing a story of uh, something that happened to me a few years ago. I was serving under a a lead pastor that uh, came to me and said, Jill, you're a woman in ministry. What is your theology of women in ministry? Or how do you uh, define women in ministry? And it caught me off guard because I had never sat down and thought about it. I had never thought that I needed to have a... uh, a view on women in ministry. I just was a woman in ministry. And um, so uh, trying to be funny, I said the first thing I could think of, and I spouted back to the pastor, and I said, well, I have uh, a theology of women in ministry. And he was shocked. He said, you know, I've asked so many women, and none of them have, you know, a good answer for me. I'm surprised you have a good answer. What is your answer? And I said, I know what women, women in ministry should do. Women in ministry should put on a hat, sit down, and be quiet. And we both cracked up laughing, and that became an inside joke for us. And anytime there was a young girl who wanted to know about women in ministry, he would say, go and ask Jill. She has a great you know, view of women in ministry. It's to sit down, cover your head, and be quiet. And that joke comes from... Uh, the reference that we're talking about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the New Testament. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he addresses the women and tells them to wear a veil. And so um, it comes from there and from um, other passages of Scripture in Ephesians 5 and in 2 Timothy, uh, where, or 1 Corinthians 14, where it tells women to be silent in the church. So my joke was, put on a veil and be silent. And what I was referencing was scripture. And with scripture, scripture reigns over our lives, right? And we don't want to take scripture and squeeze out of it whatever lustful thing we want it to say. We don't want uh, to make scripture just serve us. We want God to transform us 
by the supernatural power of his word. We want to go to the scripture and read it and trust it and believe it. But the implications of misinterpreted passages have been handicapping the church for generations as it concerns gender. The implications of misinterpreted passages has been handicapping the church for generations as it concerns gender. Because as I spout off those verses in scripture, we may think that we understand parts of them or we may think some of them are a joke, but the implications that they've had on the church, the implications that they've had on women across the, the, the board in church, those verses, when they're misinterpreted, somehow speak to us that this narrative, and the narrative says that somehow I as a woman am second to men, to all men across the board. That God has ordered things and has made me as a woman less than. And I should accept this and that because I love God. And if I accept this and love God, then I will find joy in this. But I am a second-class citizen here on earth that all men are above me. When boys enter into the age of 13, they are now superior to me. I shouldn't be teaching them. I shouldn't be instructing them that I am under men. Maybe this doesn't come out in official statements, but it certainly comes out in practice. So today I wanna to talk about how scripture being misinterpreted has influenced us. And I wanna talk about how culture has influenced us as it concerns gender in the church. The implications of this are seen in every church service I've ever attended. I've never attended a church with a, a female lead pastor. I've attended lots of churches that have a token woman on the platform or a token woman that may get to read announcements or say a prayer. So there's not official statements saying that women are second, but in practice we see in church services, in boardrooms, in business meetings, as the ushers are called to the front to take tithe and offering, as teachers are selected, as leaders are selected at every level, in our home lives, in our decision-making, in serving, in many areas of Christian life, we see women as second-class citizens Maybe not in writing, but in practice. Let's put a magnifying glass on these scriptures. Let's really look at them. You know, when I, in my life, began to look at some of these scriptures, and I didn't have the proper interpretation of what they meant, I decided just that. I decided that you know, this pastor had asked me my theology of, of women in ministry, so I began to really research it out. And I found a lot of freedom-giving articles and interpretations of the scripture, but I also, in reading the scriptures, thought to myself, well, what if, what if God is asking me to be second to men always? 
And I spent an entire year of my life trying to live that out. An entire year of my life saying, God, I love you so much that even if you don't love me as much as you love my husband, even if you don't love me as much as you love my uh, brother, even if you don't love me as much as you love my dad, even if I'm a second class to you, God, your love is still so great and I'm still going to serve you. And so I spent a year living as a second. What effects does that attitude, does that theology, does that lifestyle have on my family? What effects does that lifestyle have on my community, on my church, on my denomination, on my witness to other people, on my service to others? I realized soon after starting to live this out that that is not the intention of Paul's letter to the people in Corinth. The intention of Paul in Scripture was not to uh, bring a, a place of submission of women under men, but to bring mutual submission. And in each one of these passages, he talks about how uh, even in this head covering passage, it's a freedom passage for women where he says, women, you have, you have control of your, over your own head. He talks about how man came uh, first, but then a uh, woman was born from man, and then man every day, every time after that from woman. And it goes back and forth in this word called mutual submission that we are submitted one to one to another and in each one of these tricky passages paul is pushing for mutual submission not for men to be above women in scripture if we put a magnifying glass on scripture if we look at the whole of scripture and we don't take things out of context we don't cherry pick out scriptures and say we're just going to take this part when we look at what Paul did for women, when we look at Romans chapter 12, when we look at um, the, the women that he names in leadership that were uh, speaking, when we look at Joel, uh, the prophet Joel, how he said, in the end days, your, your uh, young men will prophesy. He says also your young women will prophesy, not only your male servants, but your, your female servants, that God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh, that the gifts of the spirit are for men and for women. And we see freedom ringing in scripture. When we put a magnifying glass on scripture, we can see freedom for women. We don't see that women come under men. We see that our God loves us. We see that I, as a woman, am made in the image of God. I'm not made in the image of a man. I'm made in the image of God. Genesis tells us that in two different places, that woman was made in the image of God. But here's what's happened. As we've accepted in our, our Western Christian cultures, as, as we've accepted this idea that we are under men, that men are above us, what has happened is we as women have done some really, really interesting things with that fact. We as women, either consciously or subconsciously, we use that as an excuse not to do things. We use it as an excuse not to stand up and say something when something needs to be said. And we shove responsibility onto our husbands. He is the leader. He will have to answer for this before God. He makes the final decisions. The pressure is off of me. I can spout off my opinions with no weight of the ramifications of them. No weight of the responsibility of the decision playing out. 
So many times I've been on the phone with close girlfriends that have said, I'm so glad that the weight is on my husband and not me. And he has to make the decision, not me. And so we don't pray as much as we should. We don't fast as much as we could. We, we shrink back and we put the responsibility on our husbands. We, do, we don't exercise our God-given talents. And because we don't exercise our talents, our giftings become weak. And they remain weak because we're not using them. We're not exercising them. We're not putting them to use. We're shrinking back. And we're shoving the responsibility onto men. We hide sometimes behind servitude. And because of that, we don't reach out and accomplish our God-given assignment. Many times we don't even pursue God to find out what our God-given assignment is. We don't pursue God with confidence, thinking that he could give us a gift of leadership, that he could give us a gift that has to be used publicly. We don't seek God with confidence that that could be something he's, he's giving to us or he's put inside of us. We take assignments from God that just happen to pass our way. Many times as women, we give our lives to accomplish others' assignments rather than our own. And we can sometimes cripple our husband's growth by doing his work for him. When all the while we really have our own work we should be doing. Our own work for the Lord. Mutual support is the most helpful, the most godly. I am not a clone of my husband. He supports me, and I support him. He has an assignment from the Lord. I have an assignment from the Lord. We support one another. We rob the world of the gift we have by being mere gift wrapping on someone else's gift. We may be pretty, but we aren't the prize. Today, I want to encourage you, be the prize. You aren't just gift wrapping. You are a gift to the world. I'm going to say that again. Listen, we rob the world of the gift that we have to give by being mere gift wrapping on someone else's gift. We may be pretty, but we aren't the prize. Today, I feel like God is moving us to a place of freedom to be the prize, be the gift. Our husbands are more fully alive in Christ when we as wives are fully alive in Christ. Our husbands are more fully alive in Christ when we, as wives, are fully alive in Christ, walking out the path that God has placed for us to walk out. This journey for me began as I, I started to read some books. After spending a good year just deciding that I was second, coming out of that place, I read a book by Jean Edwards called The Christian Woman Set Free. In the, the whole beginning of that book has quote after quote of our early church fathers, of people like Origen, of people like King James, as people like Plato. Um, they're quotes about women being wretched creatures, so less than men. It set the stage of what culture looked like, of what society thought of women. And then Jean Edwards goes in to explain some 
passages of scripture and, and their interpretation. It helps you put a magnifying glass on what some of these verses are saying. But that first book opened my eyes and it, it kind of wet my whistle, so to speak, of maybe I've been looking at this through a lens that wasn't meant to be looked at this way. So sometimes we take sermons passed down, passed down, passed down, almost like the, the game of telephone. And then we get this idea in our heads and in our hearts. And it's hard to go to scripture without that lens. And what this helped me to do is just to take a step back, look again. What are these passages actually saying? What is the whole of scripture saying? How did Jesus treat women? Jesus mentored and discipled women. He didn't mentor and disciple them so that they would go back home and sit. No, he mentored and discipled them so they could go and mentor and disciple others. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and then told her to go and be a witness to her whole village, to go tell men, go tell women about the Messiah, to be the first evangelist. History tells us that the woman at the well went on with her sisters to evangelize Africa. Some of the first uh, evangelists that went to Africa and then came back and gave their lives as martyrs because they wouldn't renounce their faith. We look at how Paul treated women, how God uh, allowed Paul to go and talk uh, to the Gentile believers, but also to women and to raise up women as preachers and teachers. We look at Priscilla, we look at Phoebe, we look at other uh, Lydia and people mentioned uh, also in, in Romans chapter 12. After reading this book by Jean Edwards, I was introduced to this book called God's Women Then and Now by Deborah Gill and Barbara, I'm going to butcher her last name, Carvaness. This book had a foreword by George Wood, who was, the head, was at the time the head of the Assemblies of God. And with that forward, I thought, you know, there must be some weight to this book. And I read that book, and it was one of the first books that I had read, because I'd read many books before this, and the books that I'd read before this had all been about women who had been mistreated in ministry, and they were just complaining and spouting off and telling their stories of this is how I was mistreated here, here, and here, and here's why it was bad. But I had never read a book that gave me a magnifying glass and description of what is it saying and what does it mean. And this was the very first book I, I read that I felt like was almost like a textbook for me. And after reading this book, friends, I was for the first time free. It was an awakening in my heart. It was an awakening in my life that maybe, just maybe, wasn't my mantra anymore. It was now I know. I know that there's a call of God on my life that I am not a second-class citizen. But God looks at me as his daughter and has gifted me with talents and abilities and that I have to use them, that I could no longer hide behind the excuse of culture. I couldn't hide behind the excuse of my husband's ministry. I couldn't hide behind anything, but I had to be vulnerable and go out and do the things that God had called me to do began to read other books like Without Rival by Lisa Bevere, uh, and then uh, came across Shattering the Stained Glass Ceiling by Robin Wilkerson. And that book was a practical how-to kind of guide of stop complaining about the you know misrepresentation of women in leadership. Stop complaining about all these things and just 
begin to better yourself, to hone those gifts and those talents, to sharpen those skills that God has given you and start doing the things that he's called you to do. God will open doors. God will make a way. It was soon after that that I was at a uh, network conference for the Assemblies of God and I heard Dr. Beth Grant speak. And Beth Grant uh, spoke about uh, her life in ministry. And there was something spiritually that happened to me that just kind of clicked on in my heart. It was an awakening moment. It was a special moment in my life as I sat in that audience. I went back to my room and I was praying. And even the next morning as I was praying, the Lord began to speak to me about my own ordination and going after this highest level of credentialing in my denomination. And uh, the Lord brought me on a journey over the next two years as I uh, went from licensing to being ordained. I had been licensed for 10 plus years uh, before going after my ordination because I had believed that I was at the top of my game at licensing, that there was no need to go all the way, that there was no need to go to the, the top, that my husband was ordained, I don't need to be ordained. And in a sense, I was hiding underneath him. As a sense, I was hiding behind him. As a sense, I wasn't, I definitely was not going after the giftings and the, the things that God had placed in my life. And so I began that journey, and it was a two-year journey, and there's a lot to that. That's a, 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 a talk for another day. After that, I came across a book that was recommended to me called God Forgive Us for Being Women by Joy Qualls. And this book talked about the history of the Assemblies of God as it applies to women, not only in black and white statements, but on the culture of, of why women have felt a certain way, how, how there, there were this, this tribe of woman, women in every generation that just wanted to serve God. They weren't trying to fight a fight. They weren't trying to be above men. They weren't trying to be anything besides servants of God. And God had gifted them with preaching abilities and uh, with abilities to, to plant and start churches. And, and the women in this book, the stories in this book, resonated so much with me. This is me. That's all I kept thinking is, this is me. As I read the book and I closed the book, I began to pray and just said, God, however you want me to be involved in this, show me. However you want me to, to, uh, to, to carry this torch, show me, because these are my people. These women, these stories in this book, this, this is me. And the book closed with the creation of the Network of Women Ministers. And uh, the, the Network of Women Ministers was a, uh, a group that was in the national office, but there wasn't a Network of Women Ministers in my state. And so I said, God, however you want to use this, here I am. Also during that time, I found myself in a place where I repented before God because I was just angry at God because I felt like he had made a mistake by asking me to preach. God, why would you ask me to preach but not give me a pulpit? God, why would you ask me to preach and not open a door for me to do it? I didn't understand why it had been such a struggle my entire uh, adult ministry life to find a place to preach. God, why would you put this insatiable desire in me to deliver your word if you weren't going to give me a venue to do it. As I was seeking my ordination, one of the requirements was that I would take five sermons that I had preached and have them looked over by someone else and given a, a recommendations on, on ways to improve my preaching. And as I began to look back over our church archives, I realized that I did not have five recorded sermons in the last three years. I had plenty of children's church sermons 
but none in the main sanctuary. And I knew that I knew that God had called me to preach in services to grown men and grown women. I love children. I love children's church. I had been doing it for 12 years, but that's not where God had called me. And so this was a, a reckoning time for me. God, I see the gift that you've called me to, and I see how I have not been using it. And so through a lot of, of prayer, the Lord prompted me to start this podcast. And the first podcast that I put out, and you can go back, uh, I think I'm on like number 70 something now. The very first one that I put out, I released it on Facebook. I sent it to a few friends. I was scared to death. And I said, God, I place this in your hands. The very first podcast that I released went out to more people more people listened to that podcast than we were in church that Sunday. And the Lord said to me, and it wasn't a, a competition with my husband at all. It wasn't a competition with anyone. It was the Lord saying to my heart, see, Jill, I can make a way that you can't even figure out until you start listening to me. It reminds me when uh, Jesus said to his uh, disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What's a fisher of, of men? That wasn't even a thing. But God revealed it to him, and God showed them supernaturally something that he was going to do. And that was the same in my life, where he said, Jill, I want you to start a podcast. And I thought, a podcast? What does this even mean? Well, here we are. Here we are. Here's my venue to preach. And through the podcast, God has opened up many doors to, to preach many different places. And uh, I've been able to travel to different places, and it's been just a, an amazing ride to watch the things that God has done. About a month or so after finishing Joy Qual's book, I got a call saying that they were starting a New York chapter of the Network of Women Ministers, and they asked if I would co-lead it uh, with another woman in our district, our network. Fast forward a little while later, and I was able to go hear Joy Qual speak at a conference in New England. And the Lord, again, began to move in my heart in, in a mighty, mighty way about opening up spaces for other people, opening up spaces for other women who are living as second-class citizens, who are living not just in the area of ministry but in life, are assuming that they don't need to step up and step out, assuming that their Christian life is secondary to just following somebody else and not listening to God for themselves and going after the thing that God has called them to do. There are communities that need Christian women to step up. There are families, there are churches, there are neighborhoods, there are ministries that need to be started. Can you imagine if Mother Teresa got married and just followed whatever her husband said to do rather than listening to what God had the call on her life? Could you imagine a lot of women waking up and coming alive and beginning to do the things that God has called them to do? When we are fully alive in Christ as women, our husbands are more fully alive because we will uh, feed off of each other's passion for the Lord. But so many times we shrink back. I began to read a couple other books, uh, Paul, Women and Wives by Craig Keener, Paul and Gender by Cynthia Westfall, and Developing Female Leaders by Katie Cole. Developing Female Leaders is one of those practical guides of how do you actually make this work? How do you actually work as a, a female leader in a church situation? It's a great, great book. I started to have conversations with Christian women who had been set free. 
there was one powerful woman of God that I met with, and she talked to me about my language and how I speak about things. Uh, in our conversation, I said things like, well, my husband allows me to speak a few times, or he lets me preach. And she said, could you instead say something along the lines of, my husband and I plan that I speak three times a year, or I preach three times a year. Things like that, the, the way that we talk about ourselves, the way that we talk about the people that we associate ourselves with, even allowing ourselves to step into the calling that God has for us, allowing myself to call, be called Pastor Jill or to refer to myself as Pastor Jill, it matters to the people around me. It matters to the girls that are watching me. It matters to the young guys that are watching me because it becomes more of a normal thing that God calls men and God calls women. God uses men and God uses women. There are powerful women of God that I decided to start having conversations with. If we begin to live out what God has placed on our lives, we'll change the world. You are not a second-class citizen in heaven. You are not a second-class citizen here on earth. You are a proclaimer of the gospel. The gospel is freedom. You are free to serve the Lord. Stop hiding behind misinterpreted scripture, fear, culture, and nonsense. People need to be impacted by your freedom. Guys, men, you are free from being our rulers. We were made in the image of God. Men and women can be mutually submitted to one another and to God. Other people need to be impacted by your freedom. We need to go and set other people free. 1 Corinthians 11 says, The woman has rights over her own head. Some people want to ignore this. Some people don't even want to talk about it. But I believe we have to make a choice because there's so many implications of the choice. Are women free? I believed for so long that all men everywhere were in charge of me. But the Bible has taught me that God is in charge of women and that all people are equal. There is no longer slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but we are all one in Jesus Christ. That we submit ourselves one to another. This Sunday at church, you will not find me wearing a hat, sitting silently. Next Sunday at church, you won't find that either or any Sunday after that, because God has set me free to do the work of the ministry. And I hope that you will begin to dig deep into the meanings of Scripture, that you'll begin to dig deep, reading some of these books, researching, praying on your own. It has been a journey for me that God has taken me on. But I found freedom on the other side, and I found my God-given voice. And it's my prayer that you will find your God 
God-given voice. That you will search out the image of God reflected in other people, in other women. Say, God, has a, I see God in you. I see the Holy Spirit in you. What is God wanting to do through you? Jesus came that the captives could be set free. Sometimes we're captive in our gender. Sometimes we're lazy within our own gender. Sometimes we're shoving responsibility off onto men. We're hiding behind washing dishes and raising children. Both very good godly things. Both things that bring honor to God. Both things that bring glory to God. But we hide behind those and we don't courageously go after God with confidence saying, God, what is it you're calling me to? How is it you want me to use my voice in this generation? How is it you want me to affect and change the world? You are the prize. You are the gift. You aren't just gift wrapping, making things look pretty. Seek the Lord. Ask him. Spend time confidently in his presence and find out what he has for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the word. God, I thank you for scripture. God, I thank you for Paul, the apostle. And I thank you for every word that he wrote. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus' example of how he championed women. God, I thank you for giving us the ability to be free. I thank you, Lord, that you have placed giftings inside of each and every one of us. God, I thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that people will walk away from this moment feeling free. I pray that people will walk away from this moment knowing that they have a place in your kingdom, in heaven, and here on earth. God, I pray for people who have been made to believe either culturally or through the misinterpretation of scripture have been made to believe that they're second. God, I pray that you would restore. But the enemy meant for evil, God, I pray that you would turn around for good. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to release women into doing the work of the gospel, doing the work of the ministry. Jesus, thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.